0: Hi and welcome to The Chat. My name is Leah Summerglue. Each week on The Chat we shine a light on the lives and careers of UTS alumni here at the 2SCR studios. This week, my guest on the show is Ana Maria Escobar. Ana Maria was born in Australia and raised in Colombia. And at the age of 19, she moved back to Australia to study fashion design at UTS. She has been the creative director at luxury accessory brand Oriton. And she's currently the general manager of brand and creative at Big W. Let's have a listen to her story. Let's start with your childhood. You were born in Australia, but raised in Colombia. Is that right?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started like I, um, funny enough, I I born here. I have to always explain kind of the accent every day, I think. Um, but I was born in Australia and then I lived here till I was um, five years old, and then went back and lived in Colombia in South America. So um, so yeah, it was quite like mum and dad are Colombian. Um, and we just went back. So, um, so yeah, that's where I'm, where I kind of grew up, and I lived there till I was 19, and then came back again. So, um, so that was the beginning.
0: What was your childhood like in Colombia?
1: Um, childhood, okay. Um, it was pretty interesting. Like I, I would not change it. Like I would not change it for the world. I have a four-year-old now, and I'm very lucky that I live in a place that is so safe. Um because living in Colombia was hard like it was mm. it had the, the good and bad I would say so um, I had fantastic kind of growing up was incredible like you, you were able to go to the farm and and do kind of amazing things in a way but but at the at the same time you had the contrast of a very volatile place going through a lot of many political issues and and being extremely unsafe so um, I would say childhood was fantastic because I had all my family there my mum is one of 12 so I had a massive family cousins and weekends going up to the farm and and having incredible incredible life. but um, then when I was growing up and being really aware of how unsafe the play was the place was I I think that was kind of when when you just go okay this is just not going to be right for me to grow up in these in this kind of environment. But again, like any South American place, it has the good and the bad, which is good to be exposed to, I guess.
0: Absolutely. And before you moved to Australia um, and studied here, you studied industrial design in Colombia. Is that correct?
1: Yes, yes. So I had, um, I have a very big family, and I remember kind of one of my cousins, or it was like a mum's cousin or something, but we all call cousins, I guess. And um, she studied industrial design, which was a really unusual thing for anyone to study in South America, because everyone is kind of like a doctor or. A lawyer, or, And all of a sudden, I used to go to her house and see um, how she she specializes in typography. Like, it was one mm-hmm. of the things that she really kind of worked on. And I remember she started to explain to me repeats and how they work and how tile systems work. And, and I really started to get, like, I really liked it. It was kind of like this funny thing that, that I got really into kind of repeats and textiles and all these different things. Um, and i also had my grandma was very creative and she used to do like a lot of embroidery and so it was creativity was always kind of around me in color especially and um, so industrial design was my my go-to so um, i did um and i finished high school when i was really young i finished high school when i was 15. Wow. So my first semester in university was when I was 16 and it's straight into industrial design. So I study industrial design in Colombia for five years and, and that was an incredible, incredible degree. Like I absolutely love it. The things that you get exposed to as an industrial designer and the method of thinking is, is very, very special. But in a way, being in South America, you have that. 360 view as well and you become quite recur- like you, you think things in a different way because of the economies of of the country and not everything you get you don't get out of union everything is given to you in a way so um, you become a very 360 kind of um designer you you learn a little bit of everything like graphics and textiles and industrial and you, you make things happen like it's just it was an incredible degree, actually, for me to do. So, from there, it was my thought process was like, okay, I go to Australia, and when I get there, I'm going to do a master's on industrial design or, or really keep or, um, studying industrial design. And when I got here, I was kind of like, okay, I'm like 19 or 20. I think I have time for another one. <laughs> so, I study, um fashion and textile design, and that's what I did at UTS.
0: Was it a culture shock when you uh, moved back to Australia for the first time in uh, how many years had it had it been since you first um, lived in Australia?
1: It was probably 12 or 14 years. It was, you know what, it's a really funny space because I had this great conviction of like, oh, I'm just going to go and I'm going to study this and this is what I'm going to do. Did I never thought how far I was, like from home. It was just this bizarre thing where I just, I was focused on what I wanted to do, but I never thought as a, oh, it's so it's so different. And when I arrived, I remember arriving at the airport and kind of people going, okay, so where you come from again? And my English was really, really bad because you come from Colombia with a little bit of American kind of knowledge of English. But you get here and the accent, everything throws you. So um, I'm at the airport with these Australian passports, and they're looking at me going, okay, hang on two seconds, where do you come from again? <laughs> like it was just this bizarre place to be. But I was really, I don't know, like I felt really, I felt at home. It was really bizarre. Like for me, it was a really easy place to find friends. And and I, I didn't have any friends here, really. I had a friend, friend of my mom, the daughter, came to study here to do the same as me at New South Wales University. And we just became really good friends. But it was a really easy place for me to be in like I, I don't know I, I never thought of um, oh my gosh this is just going to be hard like it was just so easy and people were so friendly and and especially the university was incredible like yeah I, I can't really fault it to be honest like it was all very, a smooth very transition for me in a way yeah did you have any yeah, family here when you moved back no I don't wow. I don't I don't have anyone so I arrive on my own it was a really, yeah, it was a big shock, actually. Like, that that part was kind of like, wow, like, really, I'm here on my own. But it was, I don't know, I, I embraced it. Like, I don't think it was a moment where I kind of went, what did I do? <laughs> like, it was, uh, like, I really did embrace it and I was re- ready to learn. And everything just, after coming from the 90s in Colombia and everything that happened there, um, oh, everything just felt so, so nice. And so I could live kind of, my my window open, I could walk around, like it was fantastic. It was so, so good. So um, so yeah, it was a really positive experience for me, I have to say.
0: And what made you decide to study fashion at UTS? So I um, went to
1: the university and I had um, Eric was the teacher that actually interviewed me. He used to teach illustration at the time and he's a fantastic man. And I remember sitting with him and I went, no, oh, I don't know if I want to do a master's. And we had, like, this conversation, very broken conversation because I couldn't really speak English that well. But he really helped me through it. And, and I had, like, my portfolio. And I had a lot of work, anyway, to show. So that really did help me. Um, but I really wanted to, to study something else within design. And, and fashion and textile was a great thing for me to follow, especially the textile side of things as well. So... Um, So yeah, I just decided they gave me a subject, I got subject exceptions for the first year and a bit. So I was able to start in second year. And that was a bit tough because I was already kind of like, I already did one degree. So to get into like the story and, and it felt like people felt a little bit younger than where I was and what I was doing and now, remember, I used to record my classes because, of course, in a different language it was hard.
0: Yeah, it would have been but challenging. But I kind
1: of understood everything they were saying, but it was little things that I didn't know quite well. I'm like, so what does that mean? So I will record them and then I will translate them. So <laughs> it was pretty intense. It was so really intense, actually, when I think about it. But but I enjoyed it.
0: That's great. And uh, when, you, when you graduated, where did you first work?
1: So I had... Um, these job where um, on the weekends when I was at uni, I used to start. I used to work at Oraton, the handbag place. So I started like I work in different retail stores and like Levi's and some different retail stores. But then I got a job at Oraton. and I remember looking at the handbags. I was always really into like it's, it's the perfect combination between industrial and fashion because it was the, like these 3D kind of objects, but they were fashion. So. So I got really into it. And I remember I asked the um, – I went straight to the source. I was quite bold. I went straight to the CEO at the time, um, Tom Lane. Um, is one of the sons sons of the or- the owners of Origin. And I asked him for an interview. So I went and chatted with him, showed him my portfolio, and said to him, look, I would love to work on your studio. It would be a great experience for me. And he said to me, look, right now we don't have anything, but – We call you if anything comes up. And I'm like, yeah, perfect. Two weeks later, he calls me and he's like, we have, we need an assistant designer. And of course, it doesn't pay much. And he's just studying and blah, blah. Do you want to come and do it? I'm like, yeah, perfect. And they were in Balgala. Like it was like an hour drive together. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. I'm doing it. So um, I, start, um, I started at Orton, and I remember asking for a day off to go and get graduated. Like I think I was one of the first to start really working. Um, and it was incredible. It was such a great opportunity for me. Like uh, um, most of the people that were there, like they were just starting to really set up the design studio. So I was exposed to a lot of things and I was able to kind of run with men's work really quickly or start designing women's or Getting, so was in like a real assistant designer job. I was able to actually put pen on paper really quickly and that was really exciting. Um, and then from there, we just kind of, yeah, it just kind of kept moving. But and that was yeah, definitely and, my and first so f-
0: job, Oriton. You're listening to the chat on 2SER 107.3. My name is Lid Summerglue and I'm talking to Anna Maria Escobar, who's currently the general manager of brand and creative at Big W and she's a UTS alumni. And so from there, you stayed on and off for a number yes. of years, um, yes. building the label to become the powerhouse accessory brand that it is today. Do you want to talk about your role as when uh, when Sally McDonald um, got in touch with you in 2006 and, and asked you to become the creative director? Do you want to tell me about yes. that time and um, how you got there was, as well? That
1: was actually, it was a really, look, I have had this conversation like um, with a couple of people before where I never ever really planned my career like I never sit down and went okay so by this age I want to be such and such or this is the title that I want like I've never been driven by by the title or what I'm going to become but it was more the actual opportunity in in the craft of design like being able to actually move businesses or being able to transform businesses through design. I find it amazing. Like I find it just such a powerful tool that I don't think people use it as much. So for me to get into a place, a big call from, because I worked for Origin, I was a senior designer. Then I left work for a couple of more brands. And then I got the call from Sally to come back, which Tom has spoken to her about. And and I was like, okay, so let's see, let's see what's happening. And I had that feeling of like I haven't really done my part there yet. Like I was able to be a senior designer, et cetera. But I really wanted to get into the brand mm. because what happened to me is that I felt that Australians find it really hard to talk about brands and to talk about themselves. So um, Oriton being such an Australian brand and Place of Origin being so, so much imprinted in the DNA of the brand is something that I felt that we needed to bring to life. So um, it got me into some incredible conversations and exploring Australia in a very different way. And it was fantastic for me. Um, but when I came back, it was very much about about like sitting down and starting started to do the job again because I knew how the machine kind of worked in a way, but I knew that I had to reinvent it and tell a different story so um, when Sally and I started, the, financially the brand was in a good place, um, so it was kind of a starting from a white canvas, and I think that was pretty much the brief. It's like, what would you want to do with it? And my would you would you
0: be able to explain what Oraton how how Ariton was before? Um, I think what kind of market was, it was, it was suited for that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I think when I started, um, it was. Um, it was a brand they had lost a little bit of direction, I would say, and they weren't confident. Like it was a little bit of a shy and fold into being their grandmother's back and maybe every now and then people will tell the story of the mesh, but not really. So um, it was a little bit of like, oh, so many brands are there and so many other people doing great things that so they got a little bit quiet is what I feel. So for me, when I started, was like, hang on two seconds. This, how long has this brand been around? So I started to ask almost the obvious questions, and my first go-to was uh, Robert Lane, which is the owner of the brand. So I sat with him and went through a full afternoon of just asking where did this start at? why why does the brand actually exist? Like, and he started telling me some stories that I was like, okay, that's it. Like this is the brand the first brand used to go to the opening of the opera house or mm. starting in 1939 or like some incredible stories that people normally don't talk about them and when kind of brought to the surface. So my idea from the beginning was like, I'm not going to make this brand something that is not, I just want to really go back to where it started and bring that to the surface and tell a true story. So um, that's why I kind of, I think it worked because it was very easy for me to tell. It was a storytelling kind of space where, where I was able to, because I really, I was truly fascinated by the brand. Like I think it had a lot of stories and, and beautiful things that happened with the brand. And it was so imprinted into Australians DNA. And I, and I used to get like old ladies coming to tell me about the mesh bag that they worn for the wedding and they pass it on to the daughters and, and it's that romantic element to it that being Australians, people don't talk about it. But for me, it was easier because I guess I had the South American in me that allowed me to to add that storytelling. So, so, And then that was something that we really quickly started to translate into product. And I remember in the 70th birthday or 75th birthday of the brand, I did a limited edition bag where I incorporated Mesh into nice. the leather bag and that flew like it sold so well and I just remember saying to them I just love how narrative and how original and authentic stories and um, add to product and that's when you get a bestseller and that's when product actually sells you don't have to force it or try to be something they're not it's just how authentic the brand is and being able to translate it through product so it was yeah, it was a pretty amazing journey, I would
0: say. So essentially you looked at the history of, of the bag, but then modernised it. How did you, what what kinds of changes did you make to modernise the, ba- the, the, the brand?
1: Yeah, we actually, look, I had, and this is where my industrial design kind of kicks in. Mm. I love to see how things are made. So um, I used to spend a lot of time in factories and making sure that we work on new ways of doing things. So the, the biggest thing that I brought kind of into the brand was the idea of using mesh, taking it from the kind of 80s looking crazy gold mesh into having it just as a little trim or little suggestion on a beautiful tan Vaqueda bag. So it was bringing kind of what Origin was becoming, which is that kind of worn, beautiful tan leather, and, and adding a little bit of the mesh through it, but to be able to get that sewn together, it was a massive work from the factory, myself and the designers. It was very much sitting in the factory, going, how are we actually going to stitch leather into the mesh? Or so it had a lot of kind of technique, I will say, that actually took them that back, especially into that new new space because it was new ways of doing things and we actually saw a lot of people adopting it really quickly. It was it was a pretty good pretty good experience.
0: So you were changing the quality and the craftsmanship um, but the product price so essentially then the product price would rise. Was that a bit of a gamble, did you feel? Selling things yes, at a higher price?
1: I, I had um I think I had a really good kind of a space to be able to play with the numbers in a saf- safety or the collection or the brand architecture, I would say, um, because the core of the brand, the the staples and the, the bags that were always there, they were almost a cult. So I had this little space of a 10% or 20% where I was able to play with new things all the time. But I was able to then see how far I was, the elasticity of the price point as well and how far I could take it, but being able to justify it because I would say Oriton is a very honest brand. It's not a brand that it goes into high luxury just for the sake of it. It's a reason why you're paying that in a way. So so for me to be able to do limited edition bags or, or things that were done in a different way, um, it was i had the trust i guess of the company as well for me to play with things like that so so yeah it was almost easy for me to be able to to introduce those new techniques etc
0: how do you see the consumer's experience of retail um, change over the past few years do you, do you think people want value over quality or
1: yes, the or uh-huh. the
0: other opposite
1: I think it's so many. I think retail is going through so many changes, and it sounds mm. cheesy because I think retail just is it just almost a natural thing. Retail just changes; is the way it is because consumers want something today, something different tomorrow. But I remember in, when the global financial crisis hit, that everyone used to talk about, oh, retail and it's so bad and. Everything is so slow, but yet I will go to the city and I will see Apple and Nespresso with lines at the door, and I'm like, mm, so is it retail that is bad, or is it that the experience and what we're giving the customer is not aligned to what they're looking for? Because I think that's a different conversation, and I think that's what happened with online and with Amazon's coming through. I don't think it's necessarily something that is going to kill the way we we operate or how we or how people shop. It's more that the expectations of the customer change, it, it change, and they change super, super quick. It's not like before that they used to give us two years or a year to adapt. Like if you remember, for example, tap when you tap your card, like mm. to pay something, you, you expect it now, and that happens. That happened probably a year ago or two years ago, but now you expect it. Now, everywhere you go, you just want to tap, like you forgot about. It's
0: changed so quickly, yeah. Yeah, so
1: everything is just changing so, so quickly and becomes an expectation. So if as a brand, you paralyze and you have 100 systems where you not, don't move quick enough, you become almost like you're not top of mind. It's very, very quick for them to move. But in saying that, though, I do believe that Australia has, and every country does, have a level of loyalty for the own brands, too. mm So, if you tell the story well, then I'm sure that the customers will follow and the customers will stay true to those brands that they love because they're part of the conversation and part of the story.
0: That's really, that's a really interesting um, observation. Let's move to where you're um, working now. Last year, you made the move over to Big W um, as the general manager of brand and creative. Um, And Sally McDonald again. came in and, and, and wanted you. You you guys must be a good team. Yes. <laughs> but then she left me. Oh, she left. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so where where do you see Big W fitting in the landscape of Australian retail? Is it a supermarket? Is it a discount department store? Where and oh, where is it going?
1: It's definitely a discount department store. Mm. Um, Big W is just uh, an incredible brand again. Like I think it's been... A little bit in the background, but, um, but yeah, it, it has a lot of a lot of potential. and to me it's more what value we can add to the narrative of this brand, because I guess when you move into these more volume, bigger kind of established general merchandising retailers, um, narrative is is less important. But I would say now it's becoming more and more important. So how we behave, the brands we create are equally important as a specialty store. So, yeah, I I think it's moving into a really exciting place um, where um, I guess the number one thing, of course, in this space is price and price perception. But very important that we have value and we have quality. So, So that's the other kind of, Elements that you need to keep in mind when you're creating product, but at the same time you are talking to a customer. they wants better things. that wants a better life, and it wants the house to look pretty, and it wants the kids to look well dressed, and you have to do it all within a budget, which is a fantastic mind frame or fantastic brief to play with as a designer.
0: Is it a bit of a shift from um, working in luxury accessories like Arton?
1: Yeah, it is it's a really funny space to me because I have spoken about it kind of a couple of times but everyone is like, wow, so you move from luxury, you move and I'm like, you know what, I think Australian customer is not um, very democratic, so they can move from luxury to this to kind of apartment store really, really quickly and the method of design is still the same, is how quick you do it or what the focus is at the time or Um, or how how many people, like the audience just became bigger. To me, that's the most exciting thing, that all of a sudden I'm talking to a larger audience and I've been able to affect more and more families or being able to affect more and more people. So I I think the method of design to me is still the same.
0: What's your opinion on online shopping? Do you think it it threatens the department store experience?
1: Oh, I think online is fantastic. Like uh, online is where you start your research and then you end up in a store. And I think we have to be really kind of aware that they know the enemy. They actually complement the customer journey and the customer mission. So so I kind of, I think it's great that people are moving more and more even into mobile now than, than the actual desktop and people are on the go and they see things that they like and buying them and they want to create a story and then link it into Instagram. And it becomes such a, kind of good source of information from any brand to be able to see what your customer do, what they want and how they want to purchase it. I, I, I think it's fantastic. So I, I think online is something. I, I think the danger of online though is that in the Australian conversation it's been very much like, oh, online is coming and, they, and Amazon is coming. They become this kind of like a myth Online has been working for 20 years in the states. Like it's not that it's coming; it's been here <laughs> and it's happening. So we just have to deal with it, and we have to make sure that it complements our brands, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, absolutely. So it's not that you have one or the other one; is that they both equally important. So your online experience. Has to reflect exactly what the customer is going to feel when they go into your store, exactly when they leave you, when they get your brochure, and exactly when they are on your Instagram. So, it's how do you create the holistic conversation that is more powerful than anything else? I think is dangerous when retailers are start looking at it as a separate thing. That you have your online and then mm. you have your retail stores very important to keep the conversation together because it's always just one brand and one conversation with your customer.
0: And just lastly, Anna-Maria, I just want to know, where do you see the future of Australian retail going? Is it bigger mega malls or completely online or a combination of the two or or neither? (laughs)
1: You know what? I had a really funny experience this weekend because I actually, I went to... um, I think we went down to Bondi really quickly. I have a four-year-old, so really it's not that I actually shopped that much. And and I end up, I went to these um, brand Watson and & Watson and then for some reason I read about Beckham Bridge and it's all these Australian designers coming through. And I remember probably 10 years ago when Susan Bide was happening and Marks and it's almost like a, a rebirth of Australian brands. And I think Niche is so still so relevant. So I would actually say that it it would always be a mix. Like I I think we will always have those little new niche brands coming through that only few people have them and they're fantastic and and then they grow into something else. Or or then you have, I I think anyone that is in the middle, I, I think they will find it really challenging. I think luxury, high luxury and then discount are definitely where they need to be or too high or too low the middle i think is the harder one But point of difference is a must have like if you have a brand can't be like anyone else you need a story and you need narrative so i don't know if australia will get too crazy into just ordering things online and never going out again or i think the balance was still there and we have I don't think, it's not like the states where people really love going to shopping malls and spend time shopping. People don't do that here because we have a beautiful beach to go to or the park or there's a little bit more balance between shopping and going out or spending an afternoon at the beach or, so so yeah, I don't, I don't think it will be radical, radical changes. I think people will get used more used to going between online and going to a store and Wanting to go to a little niche street uh, market, or I, I think the balance was still there.
0: That was Ana Maria Escobar talking to me on the chat.